Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 115 of the morning after I am one of your hosts, Jesse Kiefer. I am your other host, Sari Kamen. Sari Kamen, our favorite jet setter, was <laughs> off in, uh, in California for a week. It's so nice to have you back, Sari. Thank you. I am back. I, I'm with you once again. No longer not with you any longer. <laughs> I have no idea how that came out of my mouth yet. Thank back you, from the thank dead, Sari Thank you for memorializing me last week while I was gone. <laughs> last week, I, like, I, you know, trying to introduce the fact that she's not here. It's like, I need someone sitting across from me for me to feel normal about talking into this microphone sometimes. Yeah, she and really <laughs> missed me. It was as if I was dead. I, I said something to the effect of... <laughs> Sari Kamen, no longer with us. And yet I was with you. In New York. In spirit. Because uh, she's in California. That's <laughs> yeah, all. Totally making lots of sense. Um, I do actually, we had, a, we had a great show last week with um, with uh, Dr. Dave Ors on, on the show. And um, he runs the Restaurant Workers Referral Program, giving medical care at a very affordable price to restaurant workers. And he just recently um, had a, a pretty serious battle with his, his landlord. He... Um, Seemingly owed $31,000 in back taxes, uh, taxes that he was assuming uh, were being paid for by his landlord because he is a nonprofit. And um, I just want to update that the, uh, the court, the, he had a court date, yet, I guess it was on Tuesday, and that went well. Yay. And uh, lawyers are still talking it out, and um, he will have a, a result hopefully in September, or he definitely has another uh, court date, so we'll probably bring him back on the show to uh, to see how things are going. That'd be great for him. Um, Sarah, how was California? California was good. Um, it was unseasonably hot when I was there and humid, which, you know, is always kind of a bummer because you want those like nice, arid, cool breezes um, when you're in Southern California. And it's always nice to taste really good produce there. Um, so in hot, humid days. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I did when I was there, or, and I always do when I was there, is, is watch TV because my mom has TV and I don't here in New York and she runs the Food Network pretty much like all day long. So it was kind of weird because I I watched some of it and I I guess I hadn't really watched it in a really long time and there's all these new shows Mm -hmm. um, and they're all cooking competition shows and they're just getting like more and more bizarre. Mm -hmm. And it it really kind of baffled me and... um, you know, the one I think I think it's called Cutthroat Kitchen. It's so strange because these people win all this money and it's a cooking competition show, except that they're like given the opportunity to sabotage each other and like have to throw in like really weird ingredients and take each other's ingredients away. So it's not really about cooking at all. It's about like, you know, being a dick. Yeah, it's about being a dick. And then like how you negotiate that and like strategizing against your fellow competitors. And I, we actually have a really great guest and I would love to hear from them him about this um, we have Sal Limboglia in house right now he's yes. the chef of Bar Primi hey Sal how's it going good Great to be here yeah we're gonna you know talk with you extensively in a little bit but I was just curious have you seen any of these shows or do you pay attention to them uh, I do are you aware of this phenomenon uh, not so much lately uh, probably because of that fact yeah uh, but I haven't watched in a while myself yeah I mean what do you what do you think is going on? Because last time I watched the Food Network, I felt like there was cooking shows. 
I mean, and I'm sure there still are, but like there's just these endless marathons and the more and more you watch, like you realize how disconnected and removed they are from like actually cooking. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely like some, some old school people kind of still on the show, um, you know, and uh, like on the network doing some cool things, but there are a lot of things that people are still watching, which aren't that good. Why do you think people watch them or why do you think that their entertainment value is necessarily higher than a show that actually involves skill in the kitchen? I'm not really sure why. I think it's a it, it's a kind of like a scary thought because uh, people try to realize what life is inside of a kitchen, and none of that is actually true. <laughs> uh, it's really not about sabotage. It's, it's not, not about work together. You're man. not competing against anybody. You're just cooking. <laughs> yeah, it might happen, but uh, would not, you ever want to go cool. on one of those shows? Uh, not at the moment. <laughs> I mean, not you, win, you can moment. win a lot of money, and I don't. It's like there's so many other things to give money to. Yeah, not it's more well deserved. Not right now. Not on the list right now. Sarah, yeah. is Cutthroat Kitchen is that like home chefs, like, or is it is it actual restaurant people? I honestly don't know. <laughs> you were you were binging it. I know, but I was just so <laughs> aghast and like shocked that people get money just for, like you said, being a dick <laughs> with with food and chops. I mean, I really do like chops. It's that a lot of cool. fun to walk, but. I was watching it and that's like, you know, one of these competition shows and like the, they have to make an appetizer first and the ingredients I was watching were cohogs, like giant cohogs, rhubarb, oh God, and like cinnamon for an appetizer. Like, what do you even do? It's just not right. It's not real. It's not right. It's not cool. I know. And like these really, you know, well-known like professional chefs are judging and they're like so serious about like their skill and how they're executing. Like it's just bananas. Yeah. I mean, I no feel one like- would ever make that. No one. And, and, but just like as the years go on, I feel like the people who are on the show to compete kind of get worse and worse in skill. Yeah. Well, probably because like really good chefs don't want to do that. Probably. Because it doesn't have anything to do with their actual Or they skill. already have done it well, when they, before yeah. they were kind of famous and then they made some money and Maybe. they got to go yeah. do something with it. I know. Like why even bother having chefs on it? It's just luck, I guess. No, if you can make a dish that's edible out of clams, rhubarb, and cinnamon, well, then like... As an appetizer. You must be an amazing chef. Really? What would you make, Sal? <laughs> I would make baked clams. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like the use of rhubarb, kind of like lemon. Like it's a little tart. That's it. Use the cinnamon. Well, first of all, none of them could even open open <laughs> them. So that was like the first issue. They couldn't even have them steamed open. They, <laughs> they were trying. Yeah. They failed yeah. immediately. It was awkward. Not surprised. Um, um, how are you, Jesse? I'm, I'm fantastic. I missed you. I, I missed you as well. Um, I I want to uh, to give a shout out to uh, to my bosses, Paul Greco and Marco Canora over at Hearth Restaurant. Um, they just got named uh, best wine list in uh, in North America by uh, by Wine Review, and I really think that that's, that's kind of an amazing thing. And, and and what they write about in the article and why they 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 called you know said that the Hearth wine list was the best in North America. It's because how specifically Paul Greco it is. It's like propaganda. It's just his voice through and through. It's not just a list of amazing wines. It's like actually what he has to say about it and how he compels people to drink better wine. And so I think that's uh I think that's really an, an honor for him. So Yeah. That's great. Well deserved. Yes. So uh, so that was exciting to be to be attached to that and, and see that review. Um, but I wanted to talk about this um, this thing that's been circling on Facebook, which is, I guess, some unnamed, fast paced, well known restaurant in New York City saw that it was getting bad reviews. So they decided to on the service on the service on the food on everything. Okay. They decided to. I mean, because if 
Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get into that. Um, so they decided to look back on their surveillance cameras back to, I think, what, like 2003, 2004. Mm-hmm. And the they, early aughts. They, you know, they, they timed when a server gets to the table, when the table orders a drink, when the drink arrives, when the food arrives, all of these things. And they found that now that time takes it, it takes significantly longer for the guests to look at the menu, to order a drink, uh, to order their food. And they're pretty sure it's because of cell phones. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. People sit down with their phone. They're on it. They're texting. They're calling. They're, I don't know, looking at the menu online. Who knows what they're doing? Googling and ingredients. Googling ingredients <laughs> like, oh, I don't know what quahog is you know, right because no one wants is. to seem oh, uneducated in a restaurant <laughs> i mean it's not like it's something that people study and and make their living on and oh <laughs> i did so did Sal. Yeah. no i know it's it's 100 percent <laughs> something that yeah. you should walk in and not know what things are right. that's why you're there to learn more things and to, to try, talk to, to your things, leader about to talk it. to your server yeah. and i just i think we need to put an end to that that's just yeah it's and awful. then all you know the time it takes to like instagram your food once it comes then it, then it, the food cools down and then they complain oh you know our dish it's was served hot. to us not you know cold because well they were I've taking, been taking photo. photos for 20 minutes um or like oh the server came over like three times but you know you ignored them because you were on the phone on your phone and then I now you're waving down the server and you're angry mm-hmm. and you're angry like where's my server i'm ready now yeah <laughs> Um, I, I actually, I feel like I had an, I definitely had an incident like that, uh, at the restaurant a couple of nights ago. Oh yeah. When I was a server, that used to happen to me all the time. People don't even look up at you. You come over, greet a table. They're just texting. They don't mm-hmm. care. And then they're so mad when they're ready that you're not there. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, how do we put a stop to this? Ban cell phones in restaurants? I, well, I actually, I, I had a chef, I will not name him, but he at a, at a manager meeting said something to the effect of why don't we make everyone who walks through the door check their phone at the door. It would never work. Check their phone at the door. You got a charging station. You got a basket for all the phones. There's some places. I think that even maybe... Does Blanca do that? I mean, there's some places where you're not allowed to have cell phones out. I mean, very, very, very high-end because they don't want any pictures of their food being leaked out through social media. And that was like Brooklyn Fair and uh, I think Blanca as well, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, mean, if it's like a 10-seat restaurant, maybe. (laughs) Uh, right. You know, obviously, when it gets to be like a little bit bigger, then you're in trouble. Well, yeah, have, I mean, like, you can't make people take their cell phones charging. away if you're like, well, what if, you know, my kid's at home and I have a babysitter yeah. and then something happens? There's just so many reasons. I mean, I, yeah. think, I, think the, I think the solution is more of just mentioning, you know, let's all uh, have an experience. Let's have like human connection. Let's stay off our phone as best we can. I mean, I, I feel like that's an okay little thing to put on a menu. I think so, too. I'm, how do you feel I think about so that? I mean I think maybe like once once a night uh, there is the occasional table that says uh, this food is now cold you know after 15 minutes that we put it out only because they're all yes on their cell phones and chatting about you know I guess important things cutthroat uh, kitchen yes cutthroat kitchen <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the same time though I think that you know cell phones are like a necessity I think that you know uh when I go to a restaurant, I try not to take my cell phone out, but there are times where I have to have it out, and mm-hmm. I think it's okay. Again, there's going to be the occasional maybe X amount of tables a night where, yeah, there's going to be like the annoying guest and the cell phone's out and they're texting, but you know, I think that it, it's 2014 and people need their cell phones. That's so how I feel about it. So get used to it. Yes, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. 
so to a certain so extent. We'll, yeah, this is this is our rally cry. You heard it <laughs> here on the morning Sorry. after. <laughs> stop it. Stop it or just get used to it. Restaurants. Stop it or and stop complaining. <laughs> exactly. We can say that. I guess Sal can't. Why don't we take a break here? Because I want to. I really want to hear Sal's story. Me too. All right. Okay. This is morning after on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Bye. You are listening to My Fair Lady by Midnight Mosaic. following program was brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com. Hi, how are you? My name is Andrew WK. They say when things are very delicious, it must be Heritage Radio. And and we're back. (laughs) You're listening to the most delicious Heritage Radio Network program of all time, The Morning After. I'm your co-host, Sari Kamen, along with... Jesse Kiefer. Also a co-host. And we are live in studio in the back of Roberta's restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn, with the one and only Chef Sal Limbolia. Yes. He is the chef of Bar Primi, which is one of Andrew Carmelini's very new restaurants. It's an Italian restaurant. And you're Italian. Is that right, Sal? I am, yes. I've heard that. What's what's your full name? Uh, Salvatore Antonio Lamboglia. He's Italian. Don't fuck with that. (laughs) (laughs) Sal, I got to admit that uh, I, I have in my mind called you Sal Napoli for a very long time. Yes. Um, because that's your Instagram name and I just like it. 
Awesome. And Thanks. so in my mind, I decided that was actually your name. So yeah. I'm having a hard time adjusting. <laughs> Sal, you and I go a little bit way back. Yeah. Yeah. We've known each other since the days when you were cooking at La Conda Verde. Yeah. Few years back. Yep. And I was nothing but a but a lowly serv- yeah. server you're, stress. You're, Very you're One of the better servers on the floor. Absolutely. Aww. <laughs> I got fired. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and you were always just the nicest, most friendly, happy, smiliest awesome cook and I am so so happy for the great success of Bar Premi which is really kicking ass right now on the Bowery appreciate that Um, thanks you're welcome and so before we get into you know talking about the restaurant and all of that I think it would be great you are like a real Brooklyn Italian kind of dude yes yeah and like you know you had the whole mama making the meatballs talk to us a little bit about like your background and growing up uh, I mean, so my both parents were born in uh, in Naples, in the city of Naples. Hence your last name, Napoli. Yeah, exactly. Uh, pretty soon I'm going to change it to Napoli. Uh, <laughs> but my dad uh, was a chef. Uh, he cooked on Mulberry Street for about 35 years. Uh, he owned a restaurant uh, called Asaggio uh, on Hester Street. Uh, so, you know, growing up in the family, my dad was a chef. Uh, my uncle was a baker up the street, and my other uncle was a butcher uh, a few blocks away. So, you know, cooking was kind of the main, the main thing uh, daily, and food was always uh, like the main event of, the, of like any day. Um, my dad would go to work early in the morning and come back at 2, 3 in the morning, and he'd bring lobster fra diavolo and baked clams and pasta um, almost every night, six That's nights awesome. a week. <laughs> yeah, so I'd wake up before going to school, uh, and I would eat lots of fried diablo and baked clams. No, you didn't. Yeah, yeah. All these other kids are eating cereal, <laughs> and you are eating like amazing lobster pasta. Yeah. And the next, <laughs> the next day for lunch, that was my lunch. And kids were, wanted to like buy it off me. And so yeah, I bet. It was I mean, cool. I bet you were like the boss of like trading at lunch. Like you owned that. A lot of good heroes. Not yeah. even sloppy joes ever. Uh, not wrong with sloppy joe, but <laughs> you're a so lot politically of... correct. <laughs> Sal, I want to know uh, what. Little Italy was like uh, back then. I'm, I'm assuming is this is the night we're talking the 90s. Little this Italy. This is like the late, late 80s. Like yeah, like late 70s, 80s. Yeah. Oh, like what? What was it like? Because right now it's you know we were talking earlier. It's kind of like a zoo. It's yeah. a circus, and it's it's unfortunately not a place that I want to go for Italian food. It's not where you yeah, think of going for authentic Italian food. It's sad. I mean, so you know, my dad landed in Little Italy probably like uh, 1978. Let's call it. Um, uh, the early 80s. You know, I think back then, when you came over from Italy and you cooked, uh, and a lot of uh, people did on Mulberry Street, uh, the whole Italian-American uh, saying didn't exist. You know, they knew it as Italian food. Mm-hmm. You know, to them, you know, spaghetti and all these foods and, and you know, uh, pastas and meats and fish, that was known as, as Italian food. The whole, like, Italian-American thing, I don't even know when, when, it, came, when it came about. Um, but, you know, to him and his partner and the guys who were cooking on Mulberry Street in all those restaurants, that was Italian food. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I, obviously people who came here and migrated here from, to America, like my parents did, as the years went on, yeah, it became because people were cooking it here. So they weren't in Italy anymore using those ingredients. But, you know, uh, to them it was, and it still is to them, Italian food. Uh, on Mulberry Street, it's a little bit sad, you know, uh, when I walk down Mulberry Street, maybe like once in a blue, uh, there's some people who recognize me because of my dad, um, mm-hmm. who I've always like said hello to and stopped in for coffee, but never really for food. Yeah. Uh, I always go elsewhere. Uh, unfortunate. But yes, it is very unfortunate that that kind of like turned out the way it is. I, I wonder if, you know, if someone like you or someone like you who grew up in, in New York in, in an Italian family can 
kind of revamp, revamp Mulberry Street? Like, can they move into a restaurant in that neighborhood and, and take it back? Do you think that's something that can happen or is the rent just too damn, too damn high? high. <laughs> the rents. Um, I mean, yes, the rents are high. I think even like outside of the rents, I think, I mean, to open up a place like that on Mulberry Street, uh, it's just it's it's just evolved and changed a lot down there, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, I think it, it'd be cool if that happened, but I almost don't think it would be worth it. Um, because there's already Italian food there, and and are tourists really going to pay attention? There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you what do you see as being the difference between Italian food and Italian American food, as as you described it? I mean, nowadays because you know, again, like I I was born here, you know, so. I guess what I'm doing is like Italian American food. But, but you've been, I mean, you've spent a lot of time in Italy. Yeah. You understand it. Of course. I mean, again, I, we, we grew up and it was Italian food, but I think that um, just a lot of people, because I'm from America, that I'm making like Italian American food and we're using like these ingredients. So I can't say it's Italian food, but it's definitely like Italy and, uh, inspired. Mm-hmm. And of course my whole Growing up uh, and family in Italy makes me feel that like it's Italian food and it's real. So growing up in 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 that in a family with butchers and bakers and sh- chefs, I would imagine you'd go into finance. What <laughs> you know, yeah. to like to rebel? Um, you know, <laughs> be a lawyer. I guess. Yeah. Why did you decide to uh, to stick within the craft? Uh, I mean, you know, again, it was it was always around. Uh, my first job was uh, I was like a delivery boy at a local uh, meat shop and uh, catering joint in Pensonhurst. How old are you? 11. 11. <laughs> I lied and said that I was 13, but he was <laughs> a friend really of the family. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but you know, I just made deliveries and cut cold cuts and made sandwiches and I was there for about 15 years um, until I started working with uh, Carmelini. So that's a huge transition. <laughs> you went from like being a delivery boy to working with Carmelini? I, I was there for all that time. You know, and again, I went from cutting cold cuts, making sandwiches, to taking the orders, and uh, eventually like managing like the place. But for me, I've had like two bosses uh, in my career, and one is my old boss Dominic Panello, and second is Chef Carmelini. Okay, so, <laughs> so what was that transition like? I mean, did you know who Carmelini was when you started working at Avoce? Did you target him, or you know, how did that even happen? Uh, I mean, while I was working at La Cucina in Brooklyn, I was. Um, interested in going to culinary school uh, and I knew I knew definitely knew a few chefs who worked in the city not not many because again because growing up in Bensonhurst I just knew my dad you know um, and like a few big names uh, but I decided to go to culinary school and when I was there I definitely started to do some more research on some places where I should go work and a couple guys like Kenora uh, mm-hmm. and Chef Carmelini were definitely on the list um, and I after my first year of uh, culinary school, I sat down with a couple of the, uh, the uh, chefs at school and they were kind of thinking about where they would like to place me. Um, and one of the chefs just said I should go be with Carmelini. She felt that that was the right uh, place for me. Cool. Yeah. So what was it like to sort of have to reconcile your understanding and your vocabulary of Italian food with what Carmelini was doing? Um, were there were there strong differences? Was there any not to be provocative, but was there any adjustment period for you? I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, he he had he had lived there for a while, uh, and he traveled there many times. And me being from uh, the south, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the very south of Italy, uh, and then you know he definitely traveled a lot to the north. Um, and of course, like 
a little bit more high end, uh, if you will. Um, I wasn't so like used to that. You know, I, I knew it existed. Just for me, it was spaghetti and like tomato sauce and meatballs and you know some some fish. You know, so uh, I mean, yeah, there was some adjustment period, but I think that uh, he kind of like eased that, and I sh- very quickly started to realize that a Thai food was a lot more than what I thought it was. Oh, so I mean, in that way, it sort of like expanded your understanding yeah, of what Italian food for was. For sure, for sure, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you went on to La Conde Verde after that? Uh, yeah, I met uh, Chef Carlini at uh, James Beard Awards, and I approached him and said And you were drunk? I, I, was, I was drunk, yeah. <laughs> I, had, I did I, read that. <laughs> I took a photo with Bobby Flay, uh, <laughs> which my mom still has hanging Life on goal. her refrigerator. Uh, and I was wearing a very shiny pinstripe suit. <laughs> and I told him I actually ate like 15 of his duck meatballs I kept like go, going back on the line until he came around uh, and then I approached him and told him that I could make some pasta just as good as he can which you let's be that? honest is pretty crazy um, <laughs> and I still get shit for to this day yeah well, I guess it works yes uh, and he's like cool man come and check us out and he like ran away <laughs> I was like alright take care um, <laughs> so he probably oh never thought he'd see you again he's like yep yeah. there goes that there goes that. Um, but, you know, I went to go check him out, and he and I uh, interned for him for three months. Um, the voce was great way back when, and, and I got the job as Garmagee. Yeah. And then you went on to, to work in all the locations, correct? Yeah, yeah. And then I, sorry, and then I, uh, after voce for a year, I helped open uh, La Conde Verde. I was a pasta cook there. And then um, from I La Conde Verde. you must have liked your pasta. Yeah, <laughs> after he kind of helped me out with it for quite yeah. some time. <laughs> I actually, I actually want to stop on that. Um, pasta cook is a really, really high stress job. Yes. Right? Yes. Can you talk about that for a second? Because I, I, I had a someone who was a line cook at, at one of the restaurants I worked at who worked pasta station at uh, Del Posto, and he had to stop because he was like, oh, really? "My heart's gonna explode out of my Whoa. chest." <laughs> I mean, uh, when you cook pasta on the line at at a lot of restaurants in New York City it's uh, it's like non-stop you know and pasta being very popular and like one of the most uh, most ordered things I think on any menu mm-hmm. anywhere like in a lot of restaurants not even just Italian restaurants uh, pretty much your night you're non-stop there's appetizer pastas middle course pastas and main course pastas uh, and sometimes there's like dessert for pasta um, <laughs> it's just it's it's non-stop there are no breaks um, and you're pretty much just getting called at uh, the whole entire night from start to finish and then there's no time to to fill anything up and to restock and reload you just have to be ready with like a lot of ammunition and just be ready to go because it's going to go very very quickly and there's like timers right because you, you've got a bunch of pasta boiling at the same time uh, there are some timers yeah for some people uh, I don't you use the timers that much, you know. Um, I think you have it, the intuition. No, well, maybe, but but uh, if you could, if you cook pasta long enough, uh, even just by looking at it, you can kind of tell where it's at or how the bite's going to taste. And but ideally, yes, you, we we always do taste it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after like the millionth spaghetti, so and so, you kind of get the hang of it. Okay, and this yeah. is also kind of a tangent, but on this note too, and you know, I'm really enjoying hearing the the your trajectory, which I want to go back to. But, I mean, you guys can't see Sal right now unless you're in Roberto's looking at us. But he's, like, the smiliest guy ever. And I, I just don't know, like, a lot of chefs like you who, who work in these really, really high-stress situations and, like, you always have a smile on your face. You never get upset. Well, not that I've ever seen. 
you know, yeah, Sometimes. I mean, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But like, you never really seem to get like super stressed out. I mean, yeah. and now, you now you're running a restaurant. I mean, how do you maintain this like really happy, <laughs> like just nice. Thank you. Composure. Um, you know, I think being, uh, over the last, you know, X amount of years, eight, eight years, give or take, you know, you see like a lot of people kind of chefs, you know, and cooks uh, in like certain situations and how they respond to certain things and pressure. Uh, and I guess kind of, you know, uh, I think a bad experience is also a good experience because uh, I just learned what not to do. Uh, uh, and then of course, take what the good people were, like, were doing. And so just over the years, it started to become like not worth it to just not stress over like, even like the big things, because at the end of the day, like, you still got to put out nice food. Service is still rolling. Uh, your cooks are still relying on you. And of course, as a chef, still relying on the cooks. It's just, there's just too much action, I feel, to just get mad about like the small things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have heard that before, but thank you, yeah. Um, no, I mean, because it's, it, it's really different, you know? I mean, yeah. I'm sure you have heard that before because I don't think it's the norm. I mean, especially now that you are helming your own restaurant. Yeah. Like, there's just, you're, you're the same Sal, you know? You're totally not affected in, in any sort of negative way. There's no ego about it. It's just, yeah, it's Sal. I mean, yeah. Jesse and I were so lucky we got to go in and have a fantastic lunch with you. And it was great to have you both. I mean, exactly. And, you know, you just, you treat us like, you treat everybody. Just like, everybody, like, like you said, everyone's family. Everybody's and family. it really <laughs> did feel like that. I hope so. That's, yeah. that's great to hear. Thank you. Oh, of course. Let's yeah. Let's do. Do we want to take a break and then and then talk about yeah, bar creamy? I do. Let's do that. Yeah. So cool. we're going to take a break here on the morning after. We're going to come back with Sal Limboglia of Bar Premi. This is the morning after. listening to Terra Firma by Sleepies. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And we're back here on the morning after. Sari and I have been talking with Sal Boglia, chef at Bar Primi, the new pasta joint on, uh, on Bowery. So tell us about Bar Primi. Uh, tell us about you know, how you are setting it apart from other Carmelini Italian restaurants. Uh, Bar Primi came about, uh, I've heard of Bar Primi, you know, uh, 
quite a few years ago, right when, right around when Le Condé Reda was opening up, uh, you know, and of course Carmelini and the other partners, Luke Ostrom, uh, always knew that I wanted to kind of uh, have this pasta shop uh, or pizza shop, but um, uh, and they always kind of told me like, you know, just be patient and let's just focus on what we were focusing on at the time, which again was Le Condé Verde. Uh, and as the years went on, I would always ask maybe like every, every like, you know, year or so bar premium what's it happening like what are we doing whatever uh, and again it just just keep just keep on just be like be be patient um bar premium came about i i am the opportunity i had the opportunity to, to be a uh, partner there so i'm the chef partner uh which is great um took long enough now um <laughs> but um he's still under 30 you guys <laughs> still under 30 uh, but, but very very fortunate um bar premium you know uh for me means a lot because it's all I ever wanted to do and it's all I want to do uh, for forever pretty much um, you know so it's very very special for me and when I when I open the doors to Bar Premi every day it just feels like home Aww. Uh, yeah <laughs> it does um, and so I mean as far as the other uh, restaurants in the company you know I love them all um, definitely uh, Bar Premi to me stands out because um I think it's to me it's more of a collaboration um, with, between myself and Chef Carmelini, and I think that uh, you know it's a little more homey, uh, and it's a lo- I'm doing a lot of things that my dad uh, would do back at Asagio in 1982, um, so I think that alone just kind of like separates it um, outside of, of the other Carmelini restaurants. What sort of involvement did you have in kind of the the setup of the dining room? Because I remember walking in there and Sari and I had this conversation. There's a a massive communal table. Yeah. And I was thinking you could probably fit a lot more asses in seats if there were two tops or, or, yeah, two tops and, and, and a little bit more space. But you've got this big round communal table. It's also like in prime real estate right by the window that's right on Bowery. Mm -hmm. What was the, the idea behind that? Because um, it's something know, that I notice that I don't see in other places. Yeah, really. it's, it's funny you say that. You know, I didn't have, uh, you know, too much to do with the front because I was always so busy, like just like with back of the house things. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, if it was, if I had to have a choice, I'd probably have like photos of Sophia Loren and my and my dad everywhere. Um, <laughs> that that didn't go over so well, uh, as you can as you can tell. But there are like uh, some photos of like big pasta heads and stuff like that. Uh, I. I really wanted a communal table, um, as well as the other guys too. We're kind of going back and forth. Uh, to me, it's like very like welcoming the communal table. Uh, you know, if you're a group of eight and you see it empty as you're walking by, it's like you know what? Let's stop by and have some drinks or a snack. Uh, and even like at lunch, you know, uh, or even like dinner too, we'll see like multiple deuces. Or even like just like a, like last night, we had a, a 16 top sitting there uh, for someone's birthday, and they actually were walking by, uh, and they called some friends and like they became 16 people. And they were there till pretty late, um, uh, but they had a great time, drank a lot of wine, ate a lot of food, and that's what I think Bar Premium is about. Ultimately, is that like whether you want to come in for like a you know uh, like a three course meal and drink some big wine, then go ahead. But if you want to come in and have a you know glass of water and uh, put it pasta, then you're in and out in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, so you've been with Carmelini now. <clears throat> this is your third restaurant working with him. Avoce, La Conda Verde, and now Bar Primi. And, uh, then, and, and the, the Dutch. Both Duchess. Both Duchess. And wow. Then, and Just Pub. Okay. And then Lafayette. Okay, wow. Um, so, you, so you really, maybe more than anybody else, understand like 
what his aesthetic is and what a Carmelini restaurant is. So what about Bar Primi, would you say? What are those like check marks where you where you can identify, yes, this is a Carmelini restaurant. You know, you have to hit this point, this point, this point. And then what about it is is a Sal restaurant? I think the whole the whole thing is a Carmelini restaurant, you know, um, uh, over the years, I've again, I, I kind of bring my own thing to the table, but I've also like adapted his style and his sense of, you know, I mean everything, just how he wants things to look, how the line should be shut, uh, set up, how we organize things, how we label things, just in general, uh, to where it got to a point where he didn't have to tell me that it just it just happened without him even saying anything, um, and that's that's pretty cool. Um, but you know, as far as that, I think like now, I think at Bar Premi, we're definitely thinking. Uh, alike and kind of uh, talking about the same things and what we want Bob Premier to be for forever yeah. for a while if you you're going out to dinner do you purposely stay away from Italian restaurants or do you like you're like I, I can't eat one more bowl of pasta kind of <laughs> yeah um, yeah yeah now now more than ever you know uh, at work obviously I'll have like maybe like two plates a day uh, give or take of like a bunch of like different things maybe more sometimes um, but yeah I do kind of stay away from going out to eat Italian joints for now for now <laughs> good thing, you live, good thing you live in Carroll Gardens yeah, right? <laughs> that's all we have uh, yeah well no I mean let's talk about the menu a little bit because Bar Pimi really does kind of distinguish itself as an Italian restaurant in a different way than like La Conda Verde because you guys aren't really focused on on the entrees on the mains yeah. so much and am I right? It's like there's only one a night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's like there's two now, you know. Um, and again, Bar Premi is it 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 is what it means. It's a it's a pasta joint, you know. Um, you know the idea of just to come in and have order like not one or two, but order like three or four pastas amongst like a few people just to try a couple of different things. Um, and the main course is, yeah, we have like one a day. We also offer like a, like a verbal special, but pasta is like the main, it's the star of the show. And how about the starters? It just feels like, you know, less, less traditional on that sort of like classic Italian style. Like you have your starter, you have your pasta, and then you have your main. So how is the concept at Bar Premi kind of different? Like, how are you guys shaking it up there? There's no, you know, at Bar Premi, you know, there's no real way to like start the dinner. You can pretty much start how you want. There's people who come to the restaurant and they have four pastas for the first course. And they have, they put a starter in at the end. They put three pastas in at the end. They'll have, you know, the bronzino. You know, there's, there's, no, there's no first course, second course. Uh, uh, at least to us at Bar Premi it's a little more kind of like come in order a bunch of food and it'll come out uh, in a timely manner and just sh- share and enjoy just like it would be at, at like at my house yeah there's, there's food everywhere but it, it, <laughs> you know certain things get put on the table at certain times and then you go from there how would you do it like if you I'm sure you have eaten at your own restaurant like use you know use the specifics of the menu like what is your ideal meal at Bar Premi uh I mean, I would probably start like with a salad. Uh, I'd probably get um, maybe like some mussels or like hot appetizer. Uh, we're doing this fresh mozzarella now, which uh, I make every day, every morning. Uh, selling pretty well. Uh, we do it with some uh, fire roasted peppers and some breadcrumbs. Very tasty, very, very simple. Uh, and then I'd probably have like three or four pastas, you know. Um, to yourself. No, no, no. <laughs> this is like a group. Maybe like two to myself. Uh, just try a couple different things. Uh, and definitely, definitely at the end, save room for dessert. Some tiramisu and some coffee for sure. The limoncello. Oh, my God. Did you guys yeah. like that? That was fantastic. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, there's this amazing dessert 
on the menu at Bar Premium, which I think Jesse and I both really, really recommend. It's just super simple. It's clean. It's just limoncello. It's like lemon ice. It's, it's like yeah. what somebody scoops out of their, their cart. You it's know? just yes. so easy and refreshing and like you know especially after eating a lot of pasta you don't necessarily want like a heavy chocolatey whatever yeah it's that's just, why it's just the perfect palate cleanser exactly that's that's the idea I mean, is that it's something just, that comes from your childhood by any chance yeah I mean like you know the, the, the uncle who was a baker you know worked in a in a, in a, in a shop in Brooklyn and of course like, the whole like gelato case would be outside and sorbets and gelatos and just lemon ice a um, couple scoops dripping all of your hands in a hot summer day there's nothing better than that, I think. Um, this one, we actually, we, we just put some uh, lemon zest, um, lemon juice, and then we pour some uh, limoncello over the top. So it's a little boozy. Totally simple. Perfection. So. No, no wonder I liked it. Um, <laughs> I want to I wanna ask Sal about uh, his honor uh, on Zagat's yes. uh, top 30, under 30. It's, uh, it, it's honoring people in the, the restaurant food world. From like technology side to uh, to chefs, obviously like Sal. Mm. Well, what was that like? And all, are the girls just banging down your door? <laughs> well, I'm sure they've always been. Uh, no, no. Uh, I mean the Zagat thing is is great, and I'm super happy about it. Um, I never really like thought about it. It just kind of happened, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, of course, thanks to a great team that I have. But um, it, I think it it's more positiveness for Bar Premi. Uh, and that's ultimately that's that's what I want. You know, it's great for me, but even more so, it's good for just for for, for bar premi. You know, uh, people come in uh, and they'll be, hey, you know they they'll they'll say hi, but they're there to eat. Not so much for me. So and that's okay. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Yeah, but I mean, it's pretty remarkable, Sal. I mean, you've accomplished so much, and you're under thirty still. Um, and you know, you said a few minutes earlier in the interview, you know, bar premi is everything you've ever wanted, everything you ever want to do. You're not even thirty yet. I mean, where do you even where do you go from here? Or is this, is you just see yourself like being the chef of Bar Premi now and forever? Or how do you think about it when you think about like the larger picture? Um, <laughs> or maybe you don't. I mean, no, I mean, I do a lot, um, but I can honestly say that right now, um, Bar Premi is, this is it, like right now. Um, you know, I can start going off on, I want to have a pizzeria and I want to have this and I want, but that, that's not even a, that's not even, you know, a topic of discussion right now as far as, like, uh, chef, chef and I go. But it's right now, it's just this bar premi, uh, and this is, this is it. So. Make it nice. Make it really nice <laughs> yeah. and special. <laughs> um, well, congratulations. I, mean, I know things are, are going very well over there, and Thank you. I hope all the good reviews you. come and, towards you. And please come back. Uh, what, what are the hours? Uh, we are open from 1130 uh, to 3 p.m. for lunch. Uh, every day of the week. Uh, we do brunch on Saturday and Sunday from 10 a.m. to 3, and then dinner starts at 5.30 to 11, four nights a week, and Thursday through Saturday till midnight. And it's, and it's in the old Peel space. It is, yeah, right in the corner of uh, 2nd and Joey Ramon Place. Yeah, so yeah. Bowery. <laughs> Bowery. <laughs> um, but you know, you guys have you do have a lot of space because you have that whole upstairs space as well. Yes, So yes, well, we, we got some room. I'm imagining you're, you're booking parties, you're doing events, all that. Yeah. Got a little uh, bit of something for everyone there. Yeah. Eventually. Eventually. Yeah. <laughs> eventually. So. Well, thank you so much for joining us on thank the morning. Thank you for having Thanks, Sal. Sal. It's great. Thank Bar you. Bar Premi, so fantastic and Check delicious. Check it out, people. So excited for you. Sari, I'll see you next week. Yeah, you is, too. This is The Morning After on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.